everybody to the Big Dudes in the Trenches podcast. I am Doug. Over here is Bug. Doug is driving all the way from New Mexico to South Dakota like a nut job. What in the world? <laughs> <laughs> so he's not on the show. <laughs> Hopefully Sorry. a good Thanksgiving dinner, though. How'd you, what'd you guys do? Uh, we ate a lot of food all day. And... Uh... Played some cards against humanity, played some Mario Party, smoked some cigars to finish the night off, man. It was a it was a very long day. It was good to see him again. And uh, definitely miss him. And I missed him on the show today as well. At least you didn't have to cater to any vegans. I mean, at least I still got turkey, but it was rough pickings <laughs> the rest of the way. <laughs> oh, God. I did put real butter in the mashed potatoes, though. That's a must. <laughs> and they they allowed that. Well, they didn't have any mashed potatoes. I don't know what's wrong with them. All sorts of things going wrong with that half oh, the family. Man. So, you know, <laughs> the correct half the family still over here talking about football, having a great time. <laughs> it's a, it's a big week for football. You know, we uh, with three game NFL games on Thanksgiving and uh, rivalry week this week. Show's going to look a little bit different this week too. So. Not only that, it's the FCS playoffs getting underway. So, yes, we are kind of cutting back on our NFL coverage this week to focus a little bit more on college. But saying that, we do still want to start off with some NFL news here. So, to do that, I guess let's go ahead and get started here. Kick it over to Bug. There's uh, some news out of Chicago still. So, I don't remember exactly the timeline on all this. I think it was Monday the report came out that Nagy was going to be fired after the Thanksgiving game. You know, hit and then, yeah. And then uh, Monday evening, he had a press conference and said that absolutely was not true. <laughs> he then went on to cancel all of his meetings for the rest of the day, team meetings, what have you. He just canceled it. And then... That's the sign of a healthy relationship. Right. And then Tuesday or Wednesday, I don't remember. We might have talked about it on the last show, and I honestly just don't remember. The team president, Ted Phillips, general manager, Ryan Pace, they come out and say there's absolutely no validity to this. And Matt Nagy sells a job. But then it also the next day or something like there was something every day of the week for them as far as bears ridiculousness goes. I felt like getting one of those boards that said, you know, day since last nonsense, because the next thing that comes out is that Ted Phillips came down, not, not Ryan Pace, not the general manager, the team president, Ted Phillips comes down and says, you will start Justin Fields. You're not, we're, we're done with the Dalton thing. You're going to be starting Justin Fields from here on out. And it's just, there's so much that's just crazy with all this. We're recording, and it's 8.30 Mountain Time on Friday night, and Matt Nagy still hasn't been fired. You would think if he was going to get fired after the Thursday Thanksgiving game, you know, regardless of the result, which is kind of what the initial report from Patch was saying, you would think it would have happened by now. So right. I, I don't know what's going to happen. The Bears have never fired a coach midseason. The McCaskies especially, I think that's kind of like the, the big key there. I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. 
I, I've said several times that I won't watch the Bears past Thanksgiving if he's still coaching. And I, as much as I want to stick by that, I do enjoy writing my, uh, you know, my weekly reaction, regardless of how dramatic one way or the other it is. So I don't know. I might hate watch the rest of the season. I might have to adjust my stance on it a little bit. I mean, unreal situation going on there. No telling what's going to happen. So, always exciting stuff. A couple of injuries to talk about as well. I know Tredavious White is done for the year for his ACL. The Bills' defense has not really been the same for a couple of weeks now. And they started off so hot, it seemed like this was going to be one of the great defenses in NFL history. And then just all of a sudden, both sides of the ball have been collapsing. So I'm not sure what's going on with the Bills, but Tredavious White going down certainly can't help. Yeah. They just feel like they've taken a step backwards. They're not the team they were to start the year. That defense is part of the reason why, and it's, it's tragic to see, honestly. A couple of other injuries. Ezekiel Elliott might be done for the year. Cowboys are considering sitting him with a knee injury. And A.J. Brown has the same issue going on. Another kind of injury for A.J. Brown. The Titans are taking some precautions here. Might be done for the year as well. If that's the case, that's two big pieces for this Titans offense. And Julio Jones hasn't really been all that healthy this year either. That's going to be a very interesting-looking team come playoff time. Ryan Tannehill basically throwing to himself over there. And <laughs> they don't have Adrian Peterson anymore either. So almost nobody else on that team has a known name around the league. Fascinating to watch. Luckily for them, they have the Texans this week. I mean, no, nope, they had the I... Texans last week. Okay. Well, and they lost. <laughs> yeah. Even they, I, I, it's weird. I didn't even see Zeke look like he got hurt on Thursday. So I don't I don't know where that kind of came from. And the fact that they're already calling A.J. Brown out, that report came out that he was going to be out for Sunday's game around noon on Friday. Like, that's just insane. You're calling somebody out that early. Something is not right there. I don't know. I, it is very concerning if you're a Titans fan. But, man... It's uh, it's wild times either way. But getting out of the NFL, luckily, no more injuries to talk about here. I'm sure there are some, but we're going to mainly focus on the coaching carousel side of things for college here. Crazy things have been going down. So, Skip Holtz found this out. Uh, he's done. Louisiana Tech mutually agreed to part ways. What are they doing? Skip Holtz has been fantastic down there. For nine years now, has a pretty sizable winning record down in Louisiana Tech. And this has been a down year for them. Skip Holtz has basically come out and said, it's just, it feels like it's time to move on. Feels like we're both getting tired of each other a little bit almost. It's not the exact words he used, but that's, that's what it seems like it's happening here. Maybe it's an Andy Reid Philadelphia situation, and he goes on, has some success elsewhere. I certainly hope so. He seems like a good coach, and I have enjoyed his teams in the past. 
So really kind of disappointing to see, honestly. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, you never, you never want to see what looked like a good pairing in like this with a mutual parting of ways. It, I don't know. It's, it sucks. I, I hope Louisiana Tech finds somebody to fill his role pretty well and quickly. Uh, however, I, I will say, too, Louisiana Tech getting stuck in Conference USA might have had a part to, you know, part to do with Skip Holtz wanting to get out of there. Possibly, very possibly. Another team that mutually parted ways with their coach this season, TCU, no longer with Gary Patterson. They have hired SMU's Sonny Dykes. The announcement coming today as we record. Pretty exciting stuff. I know Sonny Dykes is thrilled to be taking over a big program, a Power 5 program like TCU. SMU didn't get the invite, so go ahead and jump to the Big 12 any way you can. Hey, that's a big move for Sonny Dykes. Definitely a name on the rise. Has been one to watch for a couple of years now. That SMU offense has been outstanding. Very different style of coach, though, compared to Gary Patterson. It'll be pretty interesting to see how this one works out. Well, and a very different style of coach than Jerry Kill, who is the interim head coach at TCU. He's obviously going to be finishing out the season there. But next season, he's going to be taking over at New Mexico State University. They're still an independent. you got to start wondering if maybe they're going to start trying to go towards a conference, maybe even go towards going down to the FCS I do think, though, if there's anybody that can turn the program around, it's Jerry Kill. His biggest issue is going to be recruiting because there's no pipelines out there. It's all going to be work that he has to do. At 61, 62 years old, I don't know how much he's really realistically going to be able to do there, but I do think he'll at least make New Mexico State a respectable program again. Forget the traditional pipelines out there. you got to do some fracking at New Mexico State. <laughs> Find something. We do have some extensions as well. Dave Clawson, of course, getting an extension at Wake Forest had to happen. This has been Wake Forest's most successful team since, what, 1917 or something crazy. So <laughs> I didn't even know they had football back then at Wake Forest. But good for Dave Clawson. Really great job at a very tough program. Same with Jonathan Smith. Extended at Oregon State through 2027. And, man, what a job he has done. Oregon State is still in contention for the Pac-12 North this weekend. Probably not, but it's technically possible they could win that division still, which is incredible. They haven't been able to do that since about the 60s. So a lot of things they haven't been doing at Oregon State since the 60s that they've been able to accomplish this year with Jonathan Smith. Huge extension. Definitely warranted. The other big extension, though, save the best one for last, it's Mel Tucker. Getting that extension at Michigan State. Yeah, this one's been rumored for a while. And really two Big Ten extensions here to talk about. Mel Tucker is the big one that has been circling or circulating for quite a while. Actually, feels like he's been talked about for two, three weeks at this point. But they had two big alumni come down, offer a whopping $95 million. Keep Mel Tucker there for 10 more years. Wild. Another 10-year extension in the Big Ten. James Franklin is staying at Penn State. 
absolutely wild to me that that one's happening. The buyout terms on that are the most fascinating part of this, not even the salary for James Franklin. The buyout terms, it's $8 million times however many years he has left on his contract. So Penn State and James Franklin are going to be tied together for at least eight, nine years of this 10-year deal. There's no way they're getting out. If, like, you know, if it's four years left on the contract, that's a $32 million buyout. That's insane. I don't know why you would put yourself in that position. It's almost right. crippling, you know. Uh, I, man, that's that's ballsy. Go putting all the chips on, you know, pushing them all in there. So, imagine he just goes zero and twelve in the next five years. <laughs> They're certainly counting on him not to do that. So, Brutal. we'll see what happens. He is a good recruiter, but man, you know, this season in itself has been. Further proof, he isn't really been able to keep up with the big dogs of that conference. I know everyone goes back to that one time he beat Ohio State. There were a lot of things Ohio State did to make that possible. And, (laughs) I mean, James Franklin hasn't been able to replicate that, right? So a little bit of it just happenstance got him a one win over Ohio State that he's been clinging to. And he did, wasn't even really that successful in the SEC. So I don't understand why everyone's love for James Franklin outside of his recruiting prowess. I kind of get that Penn State was in a position where they didn't want to look for a new coach. At the same time, don't offer him this big of a deal, right? Maybe you have to. Maybe USC really was coming down with a big offer. At the same time, maybe that was just talk from the agent trying to get a little bit of an extension going. No idea what's going on there. Mel Tucker, though, I do understand. He has been great for that program this year. And I had questions about it after last year, but also COVID season, right? Then to come out and do what he did, transfers the the guys who just (laughs) really weren't getting utilized very well before he got there. Turning it into a winning program this quickly is very impressive. Yeah, and I think he's absolutely deserving. Like you said, this program was kind of lost for a little bit. And I mean, what, two, three years ago, they suffered the biggest comeback loss in school history to Illinois, who was not a very good team. And really, that team looks like more of a fluke than anything. So, for him to be able to pull this contract, I don't want to say it's all just uh, luck, but he's definitely turned this program around in a big, big way. I'm pretty sure that's going to do it for the news here. And <laughs> we have a lot of college games to preview here. So let's, let's dive into the good stuff. Let's do it. So like we said, going to do things a little bit differently this show because it is rivalry week. We kind of wanted to run down all of the big rivalries going on in college football, which means, you know, this is going to be pretty extended games to watch if you'll take it that way. Not going to do the same for players to watch and all that NFL stuff this week either because this is going to be a pretty big segment. But some great college games going on. Had to highlight them. So let's go ahead and start with the games that have already happened by the time you're hearing this. Start off with Thursday's game, 
the Egg Bowl, Ole Miss looked pretty good. I mean, Mississippi State came out early, but Lane Kiffin has some tricks up his sleeve, right? That's the best season in Ole Miss history, I believe. It is. It's uh, the first time they've reached 10 wins. Which which is crazy. It doesn't sound right, but it's true. So crazy. it's, It's extra satisfying to me, too, because that means Memphis did it first. And it took Memphis forever to do it, too. Uh, I will say, too, we watched, at my house, we watched the Bears, obviously. And we watched the Cowboys game. And there were so many flags in the Cowboys game. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. We turned this one on because we knew it was going to be, we we knew we weren't going to be disappointed, even with SEC refs. They're not as bad as what the NFL is doing to the league right now. Truth hurts. Friday's games, some pretty good ones there as well. Arkansas taking down Missouri in a battle line rivalry. That's a weird name. I don't like it. The war on I-4 <laughs> also happened. Uh, USF, UCF. Closer what than a, that one should have been. Right. I don't, I don't know, know what USF has happened. not been good this year, but I guess UCF hasn't really been that great either. So rivalry game, kept it close. UCF did still come out on top. The Rumble in the Rockies. Uh, Utah bounced back. They looked like they were, they came out kind of slow after dominating Oregon. They let Colorado come out and take a lead early, but they did end up winning fairly easily in the end, 28 13. Another part of the Tobacco Road happened today. NC State has officially knocked Clemson out of the ACC title game. Clemson cannot make it. NC State beat North Carolina 34-30. And now NC State is hoping that Wake Forest loses tomorrow, as we're recording this today, as you're listening, to Boston College. If Wake Forest wins, they will go to the ACC title game. If Wake Forest loses, NC State is going. If that's not confusing enough, we'll discuss it again next week. Also happening right now as we record is the Apple Cup, Washington State, Washington, battle of interim head coaches. But, man, Washington State is destroying Washington. Right now it's 30-7. It might get worse. (laughs) Yeah, I think Wazoo had the better better roster to begin with. And uh, I think they might have a better interim head coach, too. I'm crazy. Rough year for the Huskies. Uh, There's no other way to put it. If Oregon State beats Oregon, Washington State could potentially go to the Pac-12 title game. Maybe. I mean, we'll see what happens. Oregon, with a win, would go to the Pac-12 title game themselves. So Talk about a conference cannibalizing itself. Right. We could end (laughs) up with a three-loss Pac-12 champion. Maybe even more. That's wild. Uh, but Saturday's games gonna be gonna be pretty awesome. I gotta start us off with the big one at noon on Fox. Number two at number five. This is the game I look forward to every single year. Not only the game that you know is in my dreams it is literally called the game for a reason, dude. This is massive everything is on the line here the way it should be right the big 10 on the line the playoff burst on the line basically 
you know, I know still the winner has to go through the winner of the Big Ten West. At the same time, it definitely feels like the winner of this one's going to the playoff. Yeah, absolutely. And I know it's one that I'm absolutely looking forward to watching too. But there's uh, there's two SEC versus ACC matchups that I'm really looking forward to. There's a third one as well that has lost a lot of luster based on how one of the teams in that matchup did. Uh, but I'm ta- first, I'm talking about Sunshine Showdown, FSU at Florida. Both teams were looking to have better seasons, but this game, it's huge. It always means something, right? Another one, clean old-fashioned hate. UGA, Georgia Tech, that one's always a wild one. Georgia Tech always pulls it out when they have no reason to, and I would not be surprised if they somehow pulled it out this year. This is a team that's had just a lot of missed opportunities. They're better than their record shows, and they've shown how good they can be in a few of their wins, notably, most notably, I should say, against UNC earlier in the year. Right. So it's, yeah, I mean, you never know what this team can do. You might want to keep an eye on this one. I don't think it's as clean cut as uh, as it might imply. Last one, I'm you know kind of dancing around here a little bit. Textile Bowl. We got number twenty three Clemson going to South Carolina for this one. Again, Clemson has not performed well, and losing to Georgia didn't kill their season. How they played in the ACC is what killed their season. They would have been in a pretty good position to go to the college football playoff had their one had they you know made it to this point with one loss but you know South Carolina would love to play spoiler at this point though it doesn't really matter South Carolina is still going to go out there and try to kick their ass though it's going to be a fun game to watch you're sleeping on that fourth SEC ACC game this weekend the Governor's Cup Kentucky at Louisville big running game against a pretty decent passing attack pretty underrated passing attack at Louisville this season. Should be an interesting one there. I don't know if it'll be good, but it should be interesting. <laughs> uh, hand up, I, for some reason, want to put Louisville in the Big East, like the Big East still exists. I just completely Dude. forgot that they were in the ACC. So, yeah, I, <laughs> thank I you for catching me on that. Existed. That'd be <laughs> great. A um, couple of Big 12 games that don't have names. Texas Tech at Baylor is, you know, longstanding rivalry. Pretty big one there, but Bedlam, of course, the biggest one out of the Big 12. Man, this feels like Oklahoma State's year. I don't understand it because it, it's kind of out of nowhere. Them so yeah. hard. Nobody, nobody expected this in the least, you know. So it's it's very unexpected. I don't know. I, I love this rivalry. Like I said, I've been in Oklahoma City on and around Thanksgiving a few times. The energy around it is awesome. Got a couple friends that are going to this one in Stillwater this week. I kind of wish I could make it out there as well. Let's go ahead and jump to the ACC, I guess. We got a couple of other unnamed ones out here. Uh, I guess, you know, Pitt and Syracuse, isn't that the backyard brawl or something? Stupid. I think so. <laughs> it doesn't deserve to have a name. We're going to say it's unnamed. <laughs> it's, it like this one should be all Pittsburgh. It should be all Pittsburgh. Uh, we'll see what happens. You know, and Virginia, Virginia Tech. I think that one technically has a name as well, but again, kind of who cares? Like Commonwealth Cup or whatever. So, I think it's part of like the bigger Commonwealth Cup. Uh, I'm not sure. 
there's some Commonwealth rivalry in the state of Virginia. Yeah. Virginia Tech, Virginia, it's it is a good game. It really should be a pretty decent one. I don't know if Brennan Armstrong's gonna be back though. That would be the big selling point. If Virginia's quarterback is healthy and ready to go, this game should be awesome. If not, it might be good, but you know, Virginia Tech certainly has a shot. I think Virginia Tech needs to win to ensure bowl eligibility though. A little bit of an interesting twist there without Justin Fuente, too. So we'll see how Virginia Tech can do. Absolutely. I think we should move uh, move to the SEC. We've still got a few Big Ten matchups, and uh, you know, we kind of touched on one of the Pac-12 matchups. we got a few out there as well. We, we haven't – we've made it this far, talking about rivalries, and we haven't talked about the Iron Bowl this week. Right. That, that, to me, is insane. And I would even venture as far to say – I don't know that Alabama's as safe as their record and their ranking might indicate against Auburn. How many times have they gone in to Auburn in the Iron Bowl, heavily favored, and just been shocked? Right. Three of the last four, actually. So, yeah, so it's it's uh, Auburn's got a chance. Auburn's always got a chance when they're at home in the Iron Bowl. So, I just I'm wish Bo Nix would be healthy for this one. That does yeah. hurt. You know, I dang. But again, it's Auburn and it's at Jordan Hare, so anything's possible. Absolutely. Another one we got here, an in-state rivalry, Vanderbilt and Tennessee, founding members of the SEC. They played this matchup over a hundred times. Two really lackluster programs, though. It, it really sucks. Still Billies, though. It's always like one. that. <laughs> I think I think that's going to be the official BDT name is Doctors vs. Hillbillies. I do like that. Uh, anchor down, go Commodores. Hey, Texas A&M at LSU. I think they've been trying to turn this one into some kind of a rivalry. Just a pretty good SEC West game right now, really, though. I mean, doing a little bit of research, this has a lot more history than kind of what you know recently has happened. But, of course, they want to pump this game up after how – you know, they have the longest in length and, you know, regards to length of time game in college football history as it sits right now. And even when you look at amount of overtimes, they're only in second place by two overtimes. I know that nine overtime game this year almost doesn't even count, but I guess technically it does. So it is what it is. Uh, let's jump to the Pac-12. I guess we'll finish on the Big Ten. I don't know. We'll see what happens here. Um Pac-12 games coming up, though. Territorial Cup, Arizona, Arizona State. Ah, I was going to say always a fun one. It certainly was back in, like, the 2010s. But Herm Edwards has Arizona State rolling, and Arizona is definitely not. So, I think, what was it last year? 77 to 7? Yep. So. <laughs> it was. Uh... Sun Devils ought to walk away with this one. Let's just put it that way. Be able to sleepwalk away with this one, I think, is what you really mean to say. Uh, Cal at UCLA. I really wish UCLA, USC would have been this weekend instead of last weekend. But and it, it totally snuck it under the radar that it was right? last weekend for me because I, I don't want to put all the blame on Tug here, especially since he's not here to defend himself. <laughs> But, you know, we went with the two games that we were attending live. I, you know, I mentioned it already. I wasn't able to go. So that 
I guess, kind of hit me a little bit harder. I was like, damn it, I, I wish I would have picked UCLA, USC. Right. But, man, yeah, I, I completely agree. The other Pac-12 tie-in game, if you want us to go that far, it's another national rivalry with Notre Dame involved. Notre Dame and Stanford, I, I guess it's a rivalry. No, it is. It is. It's not as big of one as their rivalry with USC, I would say. Yeah. But it's up there, and I think it's it's a good rivalry to have. It's a it's like an academic rivalry of sorts. It's almost a <laughs> I don't know. That's kind of it feels bad who, to say who it has way. more athletic smart kids, right? It's almost the that'd be great if we had a Northwestern versus Vanderbilt every year. That would be great. Oh, I love it. I love it. We need to make that happen. We've got the big one. The, the big time Pac-12 game though, Oregon State at Oregon. Huge implications for really a lot of things. Actually, if Oregon State wins this, it basically upends everything about the Pac-12 and the Rose Bowl. If Oregon wins, well, we're going to get a rematch of Oregon Utah, which was a great time for me at least. So, <laughs> either way, it's just going to be a great game. Oregon State's been doing fantastic this year, as we kind of already said, with Jonathan Smith getting that extension. And you want to shout out the the big dudes in the trenches official name for this one? Thanks yeah, to it's, Jake Botel. Thanks to Jake Botel. It's no longer civil war after, I guess, all the crazy shit that's happened in the country over the past few years. So, from Jake Botel, we're stealing it. We're claiming it as our own. Duck face <laughs> beaver carnage, baby. I'm ready Love for it. it. Love it. We do have one game. In the group of five, that's a pretty big, uh, pretty big rivalry. Honestly, the name's the name's more exciting. Yeah, Battle of Bayou name's definitely more exciting than I think this game will be this year. But again, rivalry week—you never know what's going to happen. Two teams in this one: Louisiana Monroe and University of Louisiana, formerly Louisiana Lafayette, the Raging Cajuns. Man, it's it's crazy to me that. Louisiana has kind of taken a step back from where they were. ULM hasn't really taken a step forward either, though. So it's it's a rough spot there. I don't know. It, I think it's still going to end up being a, at least a decent game because it's rivalry week, and it you never know what's going to happen. I mean, I wouldn't say that Louisiana has taken a step back. I think they're doing pretty good this year, really. I mean, uh, I guess that's kind of difficult, too, because – Especially are, comparing everything to last ten year. And one, so comparing everything to last year, ten and one last year, which I, I you know, one loss for them last year might be a better way of saying it. One loss for them last year had them in the top fifteen, top twenty. Right. right. This year they haven't sniffed the top twenty five all year, and I get it. A lot of it is because the Pac twelve is playing a full schedule. Big Ten's playing a full schedule. It's not even entirely fair though. I don't think they're in the top twenty five of the committee. They are in the AP poll, and they're pretty high in the BDT trench ratings, too. So I think if they might be in the latest round of committees ratings at number 23, actually. So either way, you're right, though. It's last year they were they were getting some real national recognition, and they're not anymore. So sad to see that. I think the job Billy Napier has done at Louisiana is just out of this world. And if he doesn't take an SEC job this season, he is an absolute moron, 
and the SEC would be absolutely moronic not to offer. So we'll have to see what happens there. Billy Napier is definitely a name to keep on top of. But like I said, we're going to end with the Big Ten. A couple of huge rivalries. I know I started us off with the game. I have to. It's, you know, Ohio State bias. I'll admit it. But some other great ones as well. The old Oaken Bucket, Indiana at Purdue. Fantastic game every year. I know Indiana has been down this year. Don't let it fool you. They always prepare hard for this game. And Purdue has been having a year to remember. And when's the last time the Boilermakers were this good? So, Purdue, <laughs> going to be pretty heavy favorites. It, it, is, this one. it should be a great game. It, it was. It's funny to me looking at this because we all had high hopes for Indiana. And we're just like, ah, Purdue. <laughs> right. It's the exact opposite. We're like, oh, my God, Purdue is a good team. And, oh, Indiana. Yep. <laughs> a Land of Lincoln trophy, Northwestern at Illinois. I think Brett Bielma is going to be back on the sidelines. So, pretty big one. Again, this is two teams that looked decent in the past, at least one of the past two years. Northwestern even going to the Big Ten championship game last year. They just lost basically everybody though. Last year, I, so I think that's probably the biggest problem there. Illinois, new head coach. I think that's what's really hurting them the most. It's uh it's a rough time for both of these teams. Land Grant Trophy, Penn State at Michigan State. Penn State is actually favored in this game because of how bad Ohio State beat up on Michigan State. Everyone <laughs> lost faith in them. They are still the number twelve team in the country, though. And Penn State's coming to East Lansing. Mel Tucker with that big-time extension. James Franklin with his big-time extension. Let's see which one of them was worth it right now. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe the second biggest rivalry out in the Big Ten this weekend, the battle for Paul Bunyan's axe. Wisconsin at Minnesota. There is still a path for all both of these teams to reach the Big Ten title game. Actually, not Minnesota anymore. It would be Iowa. I believe, since they did beat Nebraska. But either way, this game is very, very realistically deciding the Big Ten West. And Wisconsin is at Minnesota for this one. Should be awesome to watch. I'm so glad that Ibrahim is coming back next year, too, for Minnesota. That was huge news earlier this week or maybe late last week. I think it was actually even earlier today, honestly. Maybe yesterday. I definitely saw it earlier in the week, but anyway, <laughs> Wisconsin, yeah, Minnesota, is, huge one. This is one of my favorite rivalries, honestly, because the axe is just so fucking right? awesome. How can you I not know. like love that trophy? Let's, we we might have to do a bracket of the best rivalry trophies, and they uh, would I, all be Big Ten trophies. <laughs> and that big, beautiful bronze rack of ribs. Come on, right? True. I can't Ooh, wait. I can't wait for the Battle of Bones to be back and be part of this conversation, if only so we can mention the big bronze rack of ribs. <laughs> but that's all the rivalry action we have stacked up for this weekend. Incredible slate of games. Seriously, turn on the TV when you get up today and just sit back, relax, enjoy some college football all day long. It'll be awesome. Get your Thanksgiving leftovers by your side. Maybe whip out the rest of that pie and just go to town on some football, man. It's going to be a great, great weekend. 
So we're doing picks a little bit differently this week, too. Because, of course, we didn't each pick one game. We picked all the games. So we're each going to take three different rivalries and make our picks. And just <laughs> see what happens. I guess let's start, with, let's start with Tug here. So Tug had uh, the Iron Bowl. He took the Commonwealth Cup. And he took the, what is it, the Territorial? Territorial oh, Cup. That's a terrible name for it. But he's taken Alabama in the Iron Bowl. Can't blame him for that one, honestly. But also, like you were saying, Auburn always seems to have a chance. He did take Virginia Tech over Virginia. I don't know. It's going to be a close game. It really could go either way, understandably. Maybe a coin flip there for him. And, yeah, he took Arizona State over Arizona, which, of course, Arizona is awful. I think uh, I think Virginia Tech is the better team, but I gotta wonder how they're gonna perform in a rivalry game with an interim head coach. And Justin Fuente was just fired a couple weeks ago. That's got me scratching my head, raising my eyebrow. Like, yeah, I don't know. If this one's as sure of a thing as it it might appear on the outside. I'm not convinced that Virginia Tech does have the better roster. And with the way Virginia has played down the stretch, their offense seems to be pretty solid. We'll see how that Virginia Tech defense can respond. All right, which one of us wants to go next? I'll go next. You got you took a bunch of Big Ten games. I kind of spread the wealth out a little bit here. One with clean, old-fashioned hate. The uh, battle for the Lincoln, uh, Landa Lincoln Trophy, mm-hmm. and. Finished it off with Bedlam. Look, I, I even said it. Georgia Tech could pull this one out. I don't know that they do. I think Georgia has been that much of a machine this year. If anybody was going to beat them, it was going to be a good Clemson team, and Clemson isn't good. They've walked through the SEC with little resistance. While I do think Georgia Tech could come out and shock all of us. I don't see it happening. I think Georgia is almost a guarantee to win this one. You know, the craziest part is, even if Georgia Tech does win, I think Georgia still makes a playoff. Oh, 100%. 100%. Uh, I I think the only difference is going to be Alabama won't make the playoff if they lose the uh, SEC championship game at that point. So So maybe we are rooting for Georgia Tech. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe a little, you know, in the back of the room, I'm like, oh, yeah, Georgia Tech's winning. That's okay. I don't mind that I'm losing my pick. Anyway, right. uh, land a Lincoln trophy. I'm going to go with Illinois because why not? Uh, I There's really nothing to go on here, right? Northwestern just hasn't been impressive at all. I understand they lost a lot. But you'd have thought they lost their entire team the way they're playing. You'd have thought they'd lost all 100-something members of the, of the – Right. You know. Maybe lost their staff, too. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not been good. It's been ugly, and they, they haven't been able to do anything really to help themselves find a way to win a game. And that's ultimately, I think, what's hurting them the most. Brett Bielema seems to, you know, I think some of his quotes got taken out of context. Seems like the players love him. They're behind him, and they're performing for him when he's there. Last but not least, taking Bedlam. 
I'm going with the Cowboys because they're on a roll. They're hot. I think it's a smart pick to take. And add to it that OU hasn't looked great. They're going to be relying on a freshman quarterback again. And God forbid something happens to him. Say he gets hurt, which I, I absolutely do not want to happen. But say it happens. Now you're putting in Spencer Rattler. And I don't like that. I don't like the prospect of him playing either. <laughs> so it, I, I just don't think OU is in a great spot. Add to it that Oklahoma State actually plays defense in the Big 12. Right. This is probably the best defense Oklahoma has played this year. That puts OU in a really tough spot. We've seen what happens when they play good defenses in bowl games in the college football playoff in the past. Oh, man. This is everything really has fallen into place for Oklahoma State. And it's funny because at the beginning of the year, we were saying this looks like it could really be OU's year. I mean, it wasn't just us, at least. Everybody was saying that. So it's not exclusively our fault. <laughs> <laughs> but I know you said it already. I am taking three Big Ten games here. I have to go Ohio State. Uh, we are favored by eight points, last I saw. And I'm going to pick Ohio State against the spread, too. I think Ohio State can win by two, three scores. And I'm pretty confident in that. The only thing that the team of North has against us is two good edge rushers. We haven't played two at a time yet. So we certainly shut down George Karloftis. And Michigan State's defense couldn't do anything against us. But you know, having Hutchinson and Ajabo opposite ends maybe could be interesting to watch. But we're starting four offensive tackles on this line. So, I mean, literally, we moved two tackles in to play guard. They played. They started a tackle last year, not a fun guard. So it, our pass coverage should be fine. Um, taking Ohio State. And also going to take Paul Bunny and Zach's here. I'm, I'm picking Wisconsin. They have looked fantastic and legitimately have the best defense in the country. I know everyone loves Georgia's defense, but if you haven't seen Wisconsin play, you don't know what you're missing. This is honestly the best defense in the country, and Minnesota's not going to be able to score with them. So taking Wisconsin there, and I just talked about how much I love the old oak and bucket. It's a very underrated rivalry in my eyes. Purdue has got this one. And what a year for them. And Jeff Brom, seriously, just a huge building block for this program. If they can continue to grow from this, I don't even know what the limit is for Purdue. It doesn't feel like it should be that high. But maybe Jeff Brom can break through a couple of ceilings here make Purdue an actual contender out West, that would be incredible. I'm just concerned that they're going to end up doing the same thing that Northwestern did. Or what Indiana and did. Just fall apart. <laughs> exactly. I do, think the X, I do think the X factor, though, is Jeff Brown. I don't think you can, you can say anything else. The players love him. Right. And a lot of it is because his famous XFL quote, man. They know this guy's tough as nails, and so they're ready to do pretty much anything that he wants them to do. And when you got a team with that much buy-in, they're going to be tough to beat. And that quarterback is actually really good as well. 
insane completion percentage on that guy. I think he completes over 75% of his throws. Just absolutely unbelievable. They actually scored some points against Ohio State. Like, that was a pretty good offense for Purdue. So, expect them to win against Indiana. But I always expect that to be a pretty good game as well. That's our picks for Rivalry Week. And that's all the FBS rivalries. But that's not it for college football. Because we also have the FCS playoffs starting this weekend. Oh, boy. What a week of college football, man. (laughs) Unreal. I got to say, man, we, we brought up the FCS playoffs a little bit. You know, brackets been put out. We didn't go into a lot of detail. Pretty much only mentioned that the Missouri Valley Conference has a very heavy showing in this. There is a potential for all Missouri Valley semifinals. And, man, I could honestly see it, see it happening here. I don't think it will. At least Sam Houston's going to get through. They have been pretty dominant this season. And James Madison has turned it around and won some pretty convincing games as of late as well. But the other teams with first-round buys, North Dakota State, Sacramento State, Villanova, Montana, East Tennessee State, and Montana State. A couple of big Sky teams getting first-round buy as well. Pretty impressive for those teams. But this weekend is the first round. I don't know if I want to list all these off. A couple of maybe some sleeper, decent games. Do want to shout out Incarnate Word and Southeastern Louisiana. Did make the playoffs. Love those guys. (laughs) Cameron Ward, Cole Kelly. But a couple of big-time games this week in the first round. I do want to shout out specifically UC Davis at South Dakota State. Wow. What a first-round game right there. Yeah, this is, uh, this is going to be a big game for the Jackrabbits. When they get into the playoffs, though, they are tough to beat. It's something in the culture up there. I think UC Davis is going to give them fits, but I don't know if they're going to be able to pull it out. Northern Iowa is headed up to the red turf, and Eric Barrier at Eastern Washington, another huge one. Northern Iowa doesn't get the beer can home field advantage. But, man, once again, Missouri Valley, a tough out in the playoffs every single time. And then all Missouri Valley in the next one we wanted to highlight here, Southern Illinois at South Dakota. Man, some huge games already first weekend. And it's not only all Missouri Valley in this game. The next game. Whoever wins, they will play North Dakota State. They will get to go to the Fargo Dome and uh, be a lamb slaughter. Yeah. So it's, man, a lot of great games to look forward to this week. I can't wait to start watching them. Uh, honestly, man, I'm going to have to figure out like a multi screen setup because there's going to be, you're going to have to be like two or three games going on all day. Underrated game of the weekend, probably going to be Sacred Heart at Holy Cross. Gotta say, that one should be pretty exciting. Two solid defenses there with creative enough offenses that you're going to see some solid football. So, looking forward to see Holy Cross. I think Holy Cross is going to pull that one out, but man, anything can happen. This is the first round of the FCS playoffs, baby. That is wild. Huge playoff bracket. Why can we not do that in the FBS? Why is that so hard? Come on, ESPN. (laughs) 
It's all about the money. Speaking of money, I have betting odds for our players to watch. We're not doing the traditional players to watch. We're doing the Heisman favorites because this is the week that Heisman winners are made up. If you show out in your rivalry game, that's the way to cement, supplant, some combination of those two words. Uh, put yourself <laughs> in the annals of history. And right now, C.J. Stroud is the betting favorite to win the Heisman Trophy at a minus 350. Unreal. I feel like everyone was overlooking him for a solid three quarters of the season and then come around to what he did to Michigan State, and everyone's like, oh, wait, this guy's really good. <laughs> yeah. Next I... on the list. Before, before I hand it over to Bug here, next on the list, Bryce Young at a plus 260. Those two are cleared away the top two for the Heisman Trophy, but I don't know. I feel like it, this is really too close to call. The betting odds don't have it that way, but to me, it seems like this one's pretty close. Yeah, I think uh, I think the Heisman committee and the betting odds as far as the Heisman goes, I think they understand that Ohio State honestly has played some better teams than Alabama. I think if you know have, if you have half a brain and you can look at, oh, their record and their ranking, their record and their ranking, you can kind of see that Alabama's, you know, uh, report card is not as good as ESPN, the college football playoff committee, not really as good as anybody would have you think. There's a lot of SEC bias. You could even accuse us of having some Big Ten bias, I think. I don't think that's unfair to say. I just – I don't think the SEC is as strong as it has been. And I think the Heisman Committee is seeing that, and that's why, you know, maybe C.J. Stroud's getting favored a little bit more here. I say all of that, though, and there is a big jump, but at plus 5,000, the next uh, – Next most likely, at least betting-wise, to win the Heisman is Matt Corral. I don't see this one happening at all, though. No, it, it really does seem down to C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young at this point. I know Kenneth Walker was in that conversation as well, but like I told you earlier this year, there's really only one way for him to really cement himself as the favorite, and that's to do it again at Ohio State. And he didn't. Only ran for 25 yards. Couldn't get it done. So C.J. Stroud takes over as the favorite. Then, right, two SEC guys before we get to Desmond Ritter at a plus 8,000. Again, don't really see that happening. It'd be great to have him come to the ceremony. I think he's deserved, or he's earned that at least. One of the winningest quarterbacks in FBS history, I, right? I would argue, though, he hadn't even earned it this year. Like he's yeah, not even fair. he's not even in top three in passing yards in the American Athletic Conference. Fair. You so, know, we can make the argument on the stats, but if you're only going to look at passing yards, then maybe Brendan Armstrong should be leading the list. So maybe I mean, Kenny Pickett yeah, ought to be. That's true. Backup. That's true. <laughs> you know, there are there are more things to look at than just passing yards, but at the same time, I do get what you're saying. This has not been his best season at Cincinnati. Uh, yeah, I would still like to see him get invited to the ceremony personally. Uh, Brian, I would love, I would love to see him at the ceremony. Brian Robinson, Chris Olave, Spencer Sanders, Zamir White, and Frank Gore Jr. 
all at plus 50,000. <laughs> That's where the odds stop. Gotta say, a couple of those are probably on there for name recognition alone. But at the same time, it would be hilarious to see Frank Gore Jr. end up in the top 10 Heisman voting after the year Southern Miss has had. <laughs> Golly. So brutal times at Southern Miss. But if you're Frank Gore Jr., you at least got your name out there. Maybe people are tuning in every now and then. I do want to say one name I feel like they really left off here. Garrett Wilson has had a better season than Chris Olave at wide receiver for Ohio State. Man, even Jackson Smith and Jigba is having a comparable year to Chris Olave. It's hard to leave any of those guys off if you're going to have one of them. And also, Travion Henderson has... Man, he did he tie or break the freshman record for touchdowns in Ohio State history? So, Trevon Henderson should be up there, too, if you're looking at just, again, maybe, like you said, maybe a little bit of Ohio State Big Ten bias there. But a lot of guys on this Ohio State offense are producing right now, not just Chris Olave. If you're going to have one of them, I think you should have more than one of them, is my point. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, for everything Matt Corral's done, you don't have any of his receivers on here. That's kind of right. Right. ridiculous to me. Same thing with Bryce Young. Right. Jamison Williams not appearing on this list was very surprising to me. Yeah. And it, it makes you wonder, too, you know, Devonta Smith won the Heisman last year. If Jalen Waddle hadn't gotten hurt, what would the Heisman list have looked like? Would they have been competing with each other? Right, and maybe Mac Jones would have been up there with even better stats than what he had. You know, yeah. The narrative could have changed entirely. So, interesting to keep on top of. I'm sure hoping C.J. Stroud falls out again. This would be, it'd be so great. Uh, daydreaming already. Goodness, <laughs> the game's coming up, man. I haven't had it in so long. We missed it last year because of COVID, so. Hey, there's still time for Michigan to get COVID. My body is ready. There's still time for Michigan to get COVID. (laughs) Don't you worry. There's no backing out now. (laughs) Jolly, dude. What do you say we talk about these uh, Thanksgiving games here? Yeah, going to go ahead and hand it off to you. I didn't get to see any of these, so you're going to have to do some going in for me a little bit. That's fine. So I, I did write... A review. I'm still actually in the middle of writing kind of the last piece of my, re, you know, my reaction to the Bears this week. They won this one 16 to 14. Man, I, Andy Dalton threw for over 300 yards. The last time a Bears quarterback threw for over 300 yards was against the Titans last year, about week nine, I think. And the Bears lost that game. So it's like he threw for three, over 300 yards, one touchdown, three field goals by Cairo Santos. And after the clock man, mismanagement disaster on Sunday, Matt Nagy decided, hey, we're just going to run the clock all the way down to one second, call our timeout, send Santos out. Kind of masterful, kind of beautiful. But at the same time, I this game was nothing but frustration for me most of the day. Uh, and then – with the Bears winning, I, I'm concerned that that means Matt Nagy's going to end up staying longer uh, and probably getting the rest of the season. And if that's the case, if they're not going to fire him, if he's going to stay there the rest of the season, he needs to note up to Ted Phillips and be like, no, I'm going to keep Andy Dalton in. Because I don't want to see Justin Fields back out there. 
there's too many guys hurt on defense. Allen Robinson's status being so questionable, you know, it's just I talk about a lot of this in the blog. So go check it out on bdtfootball.com. The next game, you know, the Bears Lions game was gonna, you know, potentially ruin my Thanksgiving either way. Because Bears lose, I'm gonna be upset. Bears win, I'm upset because that probably means Nagy gets to stay a little bit longer, right? It was a real catch twenty two for me there. I was hoping that this game could pick me up. And for the most part, it did. In spite of the fact that there were over 20 flags thrown this game, maybe even over 30. It was absolutely insane how many flags were thrown in this one. This was a 36-33 to 33 overtime thriller with the Raiders beating out the Cowboys at home on this one. I don't think Dallas has won a Thanksgiving game in what seems like what? five, six years. It seems like they always play really well and still find a way to lose on Thanksgiving. And the Raiders, man, for all the issues they're having, I don't know. They they looked like they might have figured something out at least. They certainly were helped by the fact that there were four defensive pass interference calls against the same defensive back for the Cowboys. Jeez. I think it was... Uh, it was Brown. Can't remember his first name, but just anytime he did anything, he's getting called for pass interference. And as much as as much as I prefer the NFL over college, the amount of flags in this game is like the play ended. You expected the little yellow marker to pop up at the bottom saying flag. It was that bad. And then with all the issues the Saints are having. I ended up not actually even watching the Bills Saints. I didn't watch a second of it. The Bills went on to route the Saints 31 to 6. I think I made the right choice turning on the egg bowl there. It's uh I don't know what's going on here. I, I know obviously with uh Jameis Winston out, not really knowing who you're gonna who's gonna be your quarterback between Trevor Simeon and Taysom Hill. I think if you're paying Taysom Hill all that money, you got to eventually put him in, make him your guy. And for whatever reason, Sean Payton and the Saints haven't done that. This, I'm glad the Bills are getting back on track because that, you absolutely want to see that. But what in the hell is going on in New Orleans? None of this makes sense. I agree. And got to say, Jameis Winston... Has actually looked pretty good for the Saints. So to see him out has also been pretty bad. You know, that had that weird contract for Taysom Hill. There was some language in it paying him more money if he does end up starting quarterback. So maybe he won't <laughs> end up starting. No idea. He's kind of getting paid as a do it all weapon right now, which is how they use him. So I kind of understand it at the same time. What a weird contract situation that was. I I just don't think you dump that kind of money into somebody that you're just going to have. I I, I think there's value in it. I think it's something that hasn't been done in the NFL, and that's probably why nobody knows how to react to it. But at the same time, everybody has a different idea of how to do it and how it should be done, and that is what is causing a lot of issues around the NFL world with his contract and how he's being utilized by the Saints. Also investing that much money in a 31-year-old who hasn't necessarily been putting up stats for you is interesting, to say the least. 
Yeah. But <laughs> we'll see how that turns out. Glad to see the Bills back on track. You're right. Um, but that, that Bears field goal at the end, just golly. What a heartbreaker for the Lions again. Dude, how uh, much how much losing can you stand, you know? The plus side is it was only like a 22-yarder. It's not like any records were set on them again. Right. <laughs> right. Man, it was uh, – oh, Jimmy Graham caught a touchdown. First time he's done anything all year, so that was awesome. Too. Hey, there you go. There you go, Lions. <laughs> There's something to feel bad about. You allowed a touchdown to Jimmy Graham again. <laughs> and you couldn't be the extremely injured Bears. I – I don't know. Uh, I was even talking to a friend that is a Lions fan to make this more of a Lions conversation here. I can't tell you what the issue is. I don't know if it's strictly Dan Campbell. I don't know if it's personnel. Oh, and then by the way, they lost DeAndre Swift. I mean, goodness, Dan Campbell seems like a decent coach. I remember when he took over for the Dolphins for a little bit, he didn't have a very good record then either. But again, it never seemed like it was Dan Campbell's fault. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. That roster is not very good, though, at the same time. They don't have many weapons. And Jared Goff is, we've all known, he's kind of a mediocre quarterback who was supported by a great cast around him in L.A. So it's very possible that without that great cast around him, Jared Goff just can't lead a team. You basically got Hawkinson and DeAndre Swift. And, oh, by well, the way, DeAndre it, Swift left this one. Yeah. Right. So, it's like any anything he could have gotten going. I think Amon Ross St. Brown is going to be great, too. I think he's a great addition to their yes, offense. Potential. But then you start looking around their defense, and there's nothing there. Right. There's nothing there. And Jeff Okuda, I think it's fair to say he's been a bust now, which hurts yeah. to say is how great he was at Ohio State. It was. It made logical sense to take him at number three. He just has not worked in the NFL, and you well, can't no. have high draft picks like that just not working out. That that is never a recipe for success. It certainly isn't, and I, I almost wonder if he's put in a position where he's not having to be the guy at the cornerback position. Maybe he can do something better, even if he had a little help, you know, safety help. Even he could, right. he would look better. He he's not able to man up and put guys on an island out in the NFL, which is crazy because that's what he was best at at Ohio State. So I don't understand it exactly. It has to be part personnel, part scheme. You know that's the way the NFL works. You know it's always a little bit of both. But the Lions are having a pretty bad year. <laughs> Gotta Let's feel just be thankful we're not in Detroit. So uh, I know I already said up top we're not really doing players to watch for the NFL or really games to watch. A lot of buys this week. You know, a lot of um, games already happened. So there's only two buys. I think I oversold it when we were talking it, about it earlier. But. It feels like a lot of buys though because of the teams that are on buys. And you know the only really great game is going to be Green Bay, LA, right? So. You know, it's is what it is. We'll get back to the NFL next week. Had some huge college news games to talk about, so you know, we'll we'll get back to the NFL shortly. <laughs> we'll move a detour for us. And there is actual playoffs in the NFL, so right. you know, 
we'll spend more exactly. time there than we would than we will talking about the Duke's mayonnaise bowl and the Cheez It bowl. <laughs> hey, don't don't hate on the Duke's mayonnaise bowl. I mean, we're gonna talk about it. Just we're gonna pick who's gonna win it and kind of move on from there. There are worse bowls. <laughs> Let's be real. <laughs> the Cure Bowl, the the Birmingham uh, Bowl, uh, AutoZone Liberty Bowl, the, hey, the Jimmy Kimmel you. Bowl. <laughs> That's a thing. Yes, it is. Yes, oh, it God. is. Anyway, <laughs> let's get off these games and get into bracket time. Let's do it. All righty, folks. It is time for bracket time. We have a couple of pretty good matchups here, four to be exact. Already got your votes off of Twitter. And Gonna help us out quite a bit here because these are some good matchups. Yet again, we are coming down to the wire on this whole bracket. Still picking the best Heisman winner of all time. And man, we are seriously closing in on the end of this thing. So your votes on Twitter count now more than ever. Need them. Need them. Go vote on Twitter. At BDT Football on Twitter. We will also have polls on Instagram. Should have had them this week. Something went wrong. Didn't get them up. So we will have them on Instagram. If you want to follow us there, it's at BDT underscore football on Instagram, where you will be able to find these polls as well. Vote any way that you can. We need your help. So let's get into these matchups. We have four to talk about today. And let's go ahead and get started here. First one, Marcus Mariota versus Tim Tebow. Man. Twitter went with Marcus Mariota. I certainly understand where they're coming from. At the same time, Tim Tebow is pretty sensational. So let's start it off, Bug. What do you think? Yeah, sophomore Tim Tebow against junior Marcus Mariota. I I look, I already said it. I love Tim Tebow. I've got to go with Tim Tebow. I think Marcus Mariota absolutely had a very impressive season. I think he did a lot of things that we hadn't seen was kind of the perfect bridge between a Chip Kelly offense and kind of getting away from that and more into a uh, a West Coast pro pass offense. I still just prefer Tim Tebow, though. Yeah, that's not a very great argument, though. And I don't think it is. <laughs> I do think Mariota is absolutely deserving. Tim Tebow is just my guy. That's really all it comes down to here. I think Marcus Mariota needs to move on. He just had the better season, honestly. Tim Tebow was great, and he was electric. He was fun to watch. Mariota was doing things that, I mean, it was unreal. Seeing him throw that many touchdowns and run for that many touchdowns, it really was an incredible offense that year. It was the best offense Oregon had ever had. And they didn't have Chip Kelly anymore. So it was it was pretty amazing. Mariota, I believe, is still underrated from that year. And he won the Heisman Trophy pretty sizably. So we got to move on, Marcus Mariota. Mariota, by the way, got in for a package for the Raiders on Thanksgiving and scored a touchdown. Nice. He still, he still got it. I think he deserves more of a chance than he's going to get in uh, Las Vegas right now, too. Not completely unrelated to the Heisman Trophy conversation but <laughs> had to throw it in there 
So Mario is going to move on here. Field against Charles White. Baker Mayfield won this one on Twitter. Kick it back to you, man. What do you think? Yeah, I think they got this one right. I, and don't get me wrong. Part of it is that quarterback stats, the numbers are always much, much bigger. But when you get over double the amount of touchdowns that a running back gets, that's it's kind of tough to compare against the you know against the two. I think if we saw Baker Mayfield against Barry Sanders, maybe things would be a little different. The numbers aren't as spread apart, uh, even though you know, like I said, Baker Mayfield is a quarterback, and there's definitely Baker has a big advantage here too because I've I got to see him play at Oklahoma. I've gotten to see him play you know, in the NFL, which, you know, not taking that into account, but I've gotten to see the guy play. I never right. saw Charles White play. And that's, that. it's unfortunate that it kind of shakes out that way. But I, I don't know how you could really go with Charles White. I, I'm surprised that it was, you know, it was a 60-40 vote on Twitter. I'm surprised it was that close. I don't think it was, I certainly don't think it was, a, you know, sweep worthy for Baker Mayfield by any means. But at the same time, like, Eh, I don't know. I'm, I'm sticking with Baker, though. I think the biggest knock against Charles White is just how good Billy Sims was that year, too. Yeah. Right? It almost felt like that Heisman could have gone either way. And Baker Mayfield, it was a no-doubter. It was definitely Baker Mayfield's Heisman that year. And, I mean, Charles White has had a pretty easy path to get to this point in the bracket. Let's be real. Yeah, <laughs> Mayfield's gonna knock him out. It's it feels like a it feels like a sweep here. It's not. Charles White was a fantastic player, had a great year, but yeah, Baker Mayfield probably needs to move on here, which does set up Baker Mayfield versus Marcus Mariota, which we never got to see, and that would have been an amazing matchup. Absolutely. <laughs> Let's rewind some clocks. Get that going. Goodness, <laughs> imagine a college football playoff. Matchup of Marcus Mariota and Baker Mayfield. That would have been stuff of a legend. My goodness. Uh, let's I go ahead and jump. I think an NFL matchup of the two would be fantastic. Fair. Real. Fair. Let's go ahead and jump to this next one here. Very fitting for rivalry week. We have Troy Smith against Desmond Howard. Twitter went with Troy Smith. I was surprised, but also very excited. So let's hand over to you. Bug, what do you think? I'm going to be honest with you. I, I can't even say that. If I think if Desmond Howard had 25 more or 15 more receiving yards, I think it's a no-brainer that I go with him just based off of his receiving stats. Problem is, he wasn't just a receiver. He was also a returner and was a pretty damn good kick returner at that. You know me, big Devin Hester fan. We didn't touch on it a ton, but Devin Hester is one of the semifinalists uh, to go into the NFL, or sorry, the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And, I, you know, we had a conversation about this offline, that being a specialist like that is not appreciated enough. And that's all Devin Hester did. And so, you know, very different discussion there. Desmond Howard was a great returner and had a pretty damn good year as a receiver, too. Troy Smith 
like I said, you know, I, I know there's more to it than stats that go into winning the Heisman. Brady Quinn statistically had a, didn't just have a better season, had a much better season statistically than Troy Smith. Now, obviously, Ohio State ended up having a better season, winning a few more games, bigger games at that. I don't know, though. I, I still I still struggle with the fact that Troy Smith ended up winning the Heisman when maybe he didn't fully deserve it. And, Troy, if you're listening, please come on and tell me how wrong I am. <laughs> I want to say, if you're going to pull that argument, I could also make the argument Ty Detmer maybe should have won the year Desmond Howard did. Actually, Marshall Falk had a better season, but he was a freshman at San Diego State, and that, that guy's never going to win a Heisman Trophy. Right. Even though he had the best season out of anybody that year, right? Yeah, I, I think that's the big thing too, right? You know, looking at Desmond Howard, his his wide receiver stats, he doesn't win it on his wide receiver stats alone. His return game plays into it, and that I, I don't know. That's something that kind of sweetens the pot for me personally. So here's my thinking. It really comes down to who had the better, more definitive. Like, biggest moment. And when you think of the Heisman Trophy, you think of that pose Desmond Howard had in the end zone after that return against Ohio State. But as an aficionado of the rivalry, the one of, if not the biggest game, biggest matchup in the rivalry's history, Troy Smith won it. By three points. 42-39, number one versus number two. The only time the game has been knocked out at noon because it was too big of a game to be held at noon. Right? It moved it to 3.30 because TV networks were like, no way we're putting this at noon. This needs to be a primetime slot. And Troy Smith went out and won that game, man. And that was just a mind-bendingly massive moment for the Big Ten as a whole. And really defined football for that season. And uh, I know Florida ended up beating Ohio State in that national championship game that year. But even still, just the way that whole season played out, Troy Smith's arc that season was incredible. The stuff of legend. Compared to Desmond Howard had that one kick return. And I know it's... (laughs) It just didn't reach the same level of importance for the overall landscape of college football, that moment, right? So we talk about the big Heisman moments of, say, Johnny Manziel beating Alabama. That changed the shape of football that year, right? That wasn't just a Johnny Manziel did something amazing. That was, oh, my gosh, Alabama's not going to be playing for a national title anymore because of Johnny Manziel and what he was able to do at Texas A&M. We're looking honestly, at, you know, Florida honestly, State felt like a huge dynasty in the making. Lamar Jackson came out and smacked him in the mouth with a 50-something points on that defense that was supposed to be something incredible. Like, that changed the shape of ACC football to still today, Florida State hasn't recovered from that, that kind of a beatdown, right? <laughs> I mean, these are some real moments. Desmond Howard's one kick return that everyone remembers is not as big as number one versus number two. Ohio State goes in there, 
wins 42-39 and really shapes the rest of that conference for decades to come. I mean, the team of North has not recovered from that. The rest of the conference hasn't recovered from that. It's been Ohio State's conference since then. That has shaped football in some way that season. You haven't convinced me to change my vote, but you have convinced me that you're going with Troy Smith, and that means that Troy Smith's moving on. <laughs> Look, Desmond Howard had a great photo opportunity, but Troy Smith had a better season, in my opinion. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna move Troy Smith along here. <laughs> Don't mind if I do. <laughs> Suck it, Desmond Howard. Oh, if you want to come on the podcast and defend yourself too, I'll allow it. Just know that I'm going to be a little bit salty. And <laughs> if we get Troy Smith and Desmond Howard on the same time, on the same podcast, oh, now that would be that would have been intense. That'd be the stuff of legend, right there. <laughs> I, I would, I would approve. <laughs> but that takes us to our only unanimous decision on Twitter this week. That's pretty brutal. Ricky Williams against Barry Sanders. It was unanimous in favor of Barry Sanders. And I'm going to have a hard time getting off of that, too. I don't know what you think. It's it's not even comparable. (laughs) It's it's not even comparable. Oh, my God. Ricky, you know, Ricky Williams had a great season. Like, let's not discount that. Barry Sanders only rushed for 500 more yards and had 10 more touchdowns. Right. Like, it's, again, I've said it a few times. I think Barry Sanders had the best season in college football history as far as, especially from the running back position. I, I don't know, man. I, I don't see. So I, I want to talk, I want to take this time to discuss what it would take to beat Barry Sanders because Ricky Williams didn't do it. I mean, I'm voting Barry Sanders as well. He's moving on. I believe something that we could look at for a reason to beat Barry Sanders, because you're not going to do it with stats. Barry Sanders has Mm -hmm. the best stats of anybody. I mean, it's unreal. 40 touchdowns as a running back, basically. The way to beat Barry Sanders would be to have either just a huge moment or, like, be... uh, have beaten like a, a just a huge cast of all-time greats for your Heisman Trophy. Like we look at, you know, you beat Peyton Manning and Ryan Leaf and Randy Moss. I mean, if you like stack stack bodies like that, <laughs> that might be a way to beat Barry Sanders. I mean, Ricky Williams didn't really do any of that. He did beat Tim Couch, though, which, you know, isn't saying much, I guess. They lost two games. Uh, Oklahoma State did the year Barry Sanders won the Heisman. They lost to Nebraska at Nebraska, and they lost Bedlam at home. Mm. They, I don't know if you knew this. They also played Texas Tech in Tokyo. I did not know that. Uh, <laughs> it's just some wild shit right here. Yeah, the Coca-Cola Classic, Tokyo, Japan. Nice. And then they played. Uh, they played in the Holiday Bowl and beat the shit out of Wyoming. And the thing is, too, I think Barry Sanders is a lot like Kenneth Walker. I think it's actually a pretty apt comparison. 
I don't know that their team had a lot else around him because he right. had multiple three, four, five touchdown games. And then, you know, if you were able at to the same time, a bit, you know, at the same time, compared to Kenneth Walker again, there was never a game where he was off. Yeah. So it's it, if you were able to contain him a little bit, though, right, right, you had a much better shot of winning than uh, and he too, if you don't. So, man, just it's wild, man. I, I don't, I don't know how. How somebody's going to knock him out? I don't even know that I fully buy into what you're saying. There, there might be a path. You know, if you had an undefeated national championship season, you were clearly the best player on your team and the best player in the country against some other great guys. I don't even know if a guy like that exists. Just I'm trying to create a theoretical because it looks like Barry Sanders is going to walk his way to number one in a bracket. I don't want to crown that already, you know, but it feels like it's trending that way. So I'm just I'm thinking of something here. <laughs> I don't know. But we are coming down to the wire on this one. Seriously, it's only two weeks left. Next week, we will have four matchups on Twitter for you. We have Joe Burrow against Charles Woodson. We have Reggie Bush against Lamar Jackson. Marcus Mariota against Baker Mayfield. And Troy Smith against Barry Sanders. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Wow. We are coming down to the wire. Seriously. Our not elite eight is this coming week. We need your help on Twitter, on Instagram. At BDT football, at BDT underscore football. Just search Big Dudes in the Trenches. You will find us. And uh, need your help. So get out there and vote. Do it. Okay. <laughs> but that's going to do it for our show, man. I had a pretty great time. I love college football. This is the best week of college football possible. I mean, all sorts of college football going down. All sorts of great college football going down, too. I mean, this is going to be some huge matchups, some huge moments. This is the stuff legends are made of. So very, very much so looking forward to this Saturday. Oh, I absolutely am, too. It's going to be a a great day of college football. NFL, look, their day was Thursday, and it disappointed. And I'm sure it's going to be a bunch (laughs) of flags. The nice thing is, though, with the Bears having played on Thanksgiving, Tevin Jenkins, he's been sitting out there practicing, warming up with the team. He could potentially see action in week 13. So we'll just have to wait and see how that goes, recovering from that back injury ahead of schedule. I don't know how I completely feel about that right now, but I'd love to see it, that's for sure. Uh, I got to say, though, I don't have a dad joke. I got one that my four-year-old daughter told us yesterday, and it killed. It absolutely killed. What kind of key do you need to open a banana? A monkey. Truly incredible. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Pretty sure that's going to do it for our show. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in. This has been The Big Dudes in the Trenches. And uh, signing off, that's all we got. 
Peace out, Girl Scouts.